Hello and welcome to the Decision Intelligence Podcast with Cassie Kozarkov. Here's Never Start with a Hypothesis, Lies, Damned Lines, and Stat 101. Read for you by the author. Setting up hypothesis testing is a ballroom dance. Its steps are action, action, worlds, worlds. There's a nice foxtrot rhythm to it. Unfortunately, most people bungle it by starting on the wrong foot. So here's how to dance it right. Step one, write down the default action. Statistics is the science of changing your mind under uncertainty. So the first order of business is to figure out what you're gonna do unless the data talk you out of it. What do you commit to doing if you stay ignorant? That's why everything begins with a physical action or decision that you commit to doing if you don't gather any more evidence. This is called your default action. What I'm asking you is, what will you actually do if you walk away and remain ignorant of the information? Gather data is not an appropriate answer. I'm parting you to tell me which of the options you'd go for if I forced you to choose right now. Step two, write down the alternative action. You'll keep your decision binary, framed as do thing versus not do thing. Whichever is not your default is your alternative action. If binary feels too basic right now, take a look at your screen. The amazing variety of shapes on it speaks volumes about the power of binary options put together. Whenever you need to make a more complex decision, you can always compound several hypothesis tests. But let's start with one at a time here. Getting started is about actions, not beliefs. I'm not asking you what you think you know, since as a good frequentist, also known as a classical statistician or follower of the philosophy taught in most Stat 101 classes, you don't believe anything before you do the analysis. Nothing. You believe in nothing. Say it with me. Now, Bayesians are different when it comes to this. But if you're feeling righteous Bayesian rage because you're at philosophical odds with the logic here, take a deep breath and think of this as a lesson in knowing your enemy. We'll talk about the Bayesian way of life soon enough. For now, the clue as to which kind of statistics you're dealing with is in the jargon floating about. If you hear confidence interval or p-value, hello frequentist. If you hear credible interval or prior or posterior, this is nothing rude, I promise, hello Bayesian. If the first with the confidence intervals and p-values sounds more familiar, it's probably because most educational programs teach frequentist thinking before or instead of Bayesian thinking. And it's frequentist thinking that this episode will focus on. Hang tight, Bayesians. Dealing with no information. Which action to pick as your default is not a question for the numbers nerd. It's an MBA thing that's the province of the team's decision maker. You make it based on business sense while meditating in a closet. I'm asking you what you prefer to do if you stay ignorant, so you don't need data to answer my question. Though you may find a previous analysis inspiring. Exploratory data analysis, or EDA for short, is a sort of guided meditation, if you will. It's a tool to help decision makers through this part. If you're keen to dive deeper into how analysts and decision makers work together, check out my blog post, Analytics is Not Storytelling. Now, exploratory data analysis, EDA, is pretty useful if you can afford it. The price is all data that you use for it has to be nuked from orbit before you get to the statistics part. For teams that aren't flush with data, excluding 
any of it from inference may be too expensive. Those teams are entirely at the mercy of the mental span and brainstorming ability of their decision maker. Default actions and playing it safe. Imagine a decision about launching a new product. The typical choice among decision makers is to play it safe. Don't launch it unless the data give you a good reason to hit the green button. If you don't have data, you cheerfully mothball the project. Maybe that's a mistake, but hey, you can live with yourself. You pick the default in a way that makes sticking to it the lesser evil as far as mistakes go. Other examples where society considers the default to be fairly obvious are innocent until proven guilty. The default is don't convict if there's no evidence. Testing new medications. Default, don't approve if there's no evidence. And scientific publication. Default, don't publish if there's no evidence. Although true indifference is fairly rare in the human animal, if you'd honestly be willing to flip a coin in the absence of data, then you don't need statistics. If your mind isn't set, it can't be changed. Move along and instead listen to the advice in the episode when not to use statistics. To be dry about it, the first move involves framing your decision under no information. And I hope you see that a decision maker's training is more relevant for this than a mathematician's. Next up, dealing with full information. The next step in the dance is a bit strange. Stat 101 teaches it to you like it ain't no thing, but it's quite an intense mental leap. Your job here is to imagine all possible states of the world. Yes, you heard me. This is one of the decision-making tasks on the tougher end of the spectrum. For non-trivial examples, you know, stuff that's slightly more involved than the baby examples that you see in class, it really takes a lot of mental discipline, creativity, flexibility, and concentration to do it well. Your job is to imagine all possible states of the world. Think about that. That's what we're making decision makers do here. Now, once you've imagined all possible parallel worlds, it's time to put each in one of two buckets. Let's call bucket one, worlds where I'd be happy to take my default action, and bucket two, all the other ones. Step three, describe the null hypothesis. If you don't like the 10 word name for bucket one, its technical name is null hypothesis. You might have heard shorthand descriptions of the null hypothesis like status quo or the boring one or the thing we don't want to prove. All of these are slightly inaccurate, lazy things a professor might teach a first-year college kid of untrustworthy mental sophistication. But I trust you to handle the philosophical weirdness. So now you know that the null hypothesis describes the full collection of universes in which you'd happily choose your default action. Let's have a few moments of silence out of respect for the mental gymnastics that we're asking decision makers to handle. Not everyone has the mental flexibility that it takes to zoom out. Choose your decision maker wisely. Let's have a quick reminder of where we stand. The point here is that you've set things up so that you're committed to doing your default action as long as you know nothing, you know very little, or you know with absolute certainty that you're a citizen of a null hypothesis universe. Great, you've got the null hypothesis. Now it turns out hypotheses are like cockroaches. When you see one, it's never just the one. There's always more hiding somewhere nearby. And that's how we get to step four. Describe the alternative hypothesis. Bucket two is the alternative hypothesis, and you put all the leftover worlds in there. It's everything that could be true when the null hypothesis is false. 
The two hypotheses are mathematical complements, which is another way of saying there is no third bucket. In a nutshell, the alternative hypothesis is your answer to this. What would it take to change your mind? And now we've got action, action, worlds, worlds. Default action, alternative action. Null hypothesis, alternative hypothesis. The dance is complete. We've set up our hypothesis testing. And now we're ready to add data. So what's the game there? Between them, your hypotheses cover all possibilities. They don't overlap. If I convince you, with data, with evidence, that you reside in one of the alternative hypothesis worlds, my goodness, what are you still doing considering the default action? Stop! That action is not a happy choice here. You'd better switch from the default action to the alternative action. Not doing your default. This might spiral off into a series of other decisions, but one thing's for sure. You're not touching that default action with a barge pole. The data have changed your mind. Active versus passive. A huge part of this decision context is that from the get-go, the actions are not the same to you. You're as fully open-minded as a frequentist should be. But that doesn't mean you don't consider one of the actions more sensible or ethical under ignorance. That's the key. If both actions are the same to you, you shouldn't be using this testing framework. Instead, the episode for you is when not to use statistics. So again, to summarize, the default is the action that you're okay with falling into passively, whereas the alternative action is something that you need to be actively convinced to do. If you only have a partial view of your data, you'll have to deal with uncertainty. That's where the fancy pants probability calculations come in. They boil down to one sentence, and it's the same thing every time, as we'll see in an upcoming episode. The point is that you don't ever know for sure which of your worlds is your world. That's why it's important that your default action is chosen in a way that accurately reflects your values. How do you check? If you frame things right, a type 1 error should feel worse to you than a type 2 error. In other words, the idea of incorrectly leaving your cozy comfort zone, the default action, should be more painful than the idea of incorrectly sticking to it. If this is not true for you, you haven't really been honest with yourself about which action is which. Let's take it again from the top. Actions speak loudest. In order to be able to set up statistical hypotheses, you must know what your default action is. The entire thing falls apart when you start elsewhere. Unfortunately, picking your default action incorrectly is a common mistake among those who learn the math without absorbing any of the philosophy. It's also a symptom of a team where the decision maker is missing an action and the numbers nerds are out en masse. Picking your default action incorrectly is a painfully common mistake. It's everywhere. A surefire way to set yourself up for failure is to start with the hypotheses instead of the actions. That's a vestige of the way the class exercises are structured. Because statistics classes don't teach you the decision maker's role. Those things are almost always done for you by the professor. But in real life, it amounts to starting off on the wrong foot. With all the effort you're about to put into the rest of it, wouldn't it be a shame to faceplant barely out of the gate? Never start with a null hypothesis. Always start with the default action. I'm Cassie Kozarkov, and this was Never Start With A Hypothesis, read for you by the author. If you had fun here, please share it with a friend, and I'll catch you next time on the Decision Intelligence Podcast.